If you'd like to support this podcast, you can do so by visiting chriscarl.com forward slash podcast, where you'll find links to both Patreon and PayPal, where you can make donations. Any and all support is massively appreciated and a huge thank you to everyone that has supported thus far. So after what feels like an absolute eternity, it's actually been about a month since the last time I recorded one of these. Nice little enforced break for some mental health and some some getting away from a computer now that it's legal to do so. It's it's wonderful to be back doing this, but it's even more wonderful to be talking to one of my absolute favourite photographers in the world, which is Nathan Nelson, the man who sounds exactly like Ryan Reynolds when he's on Zoom, which is such a <laughs> such a wonderful uh, quality to have. How are you, sir? I know you've recovered from COVID, but things are still going on. Talk about the last six months. How's things going? Uh, you know, it's been a bit of a cluster. It's, uh, it's a constant juggling act of, you know, trying to, uh, work wise. It's, you know, things are green lit and then they're paused and then they're sort of green lit again and different changes here and there. And then some are canceled and some are indefinitely paused until, I don't know, maybe this all ends. It's, it's constant like that. But, uh, yeah, I mean, from a, from a straight up, you know, life perspective, it's, sort of the same thing, little, uh, little bit of a juggle It's uh, you know, high points, low points, everything in between. So, you know, but I'm, I'm making it through just like everybody else. Well, it, obviously the, the first thing is that we have to make sure that you're, you're back and healthy and that's the most important thing, but also from just a selfish point of view, as someone that's consuming internet by the metric ton, it'd be great if we could just get lots more videos and lots more things to distract me from what is inevitably just the downfall of humanity, which seems to have happened over the last 12 months. <laughs> yeah. One of the big things that's been a, a big plus for me is watching your um, How I Got the Shot videos. So um, for people that haven't seen them, I'd highly recommend just pausing at this point and going and watching them. But I think we talked a little bit about this in the past, and I've talked to, talked about this with a few different photographers, but what's the what's the drive for you in showing what you're doing? Because it feels like a lot of photographers are quite closed off and they don't, and not just photographers, but creatives in general, they're quite closed off. They don't want to reveal much about their process and so on so what's the driving factor for you wanting to share that stuff honestly it's just i don't know i've always been a uh, a big proponent of community i just think that the uh, the better that we all do the better that we all do so it's one of those things where you know I, I don't think i'm revealing any deep dark trade secrets or anything like that like i i didn't you know create these these lighting styles and stuff like that it's just different things that you know i've seen and emulated or different things that have popped into my brain that i've you know kind of put together myself but it's you know it's it's all just photography it's all we're all using the same tools and we're just using them in slightly different ways so honestly even if i show somebody exactly how i took a specific portrait which is kind of funny because one of my uh my recent videos where uh, i had the model laying on the uh Kind of the floor of the studio with the white backdrop she had the the long black leggings on yep. um the amount of uh images that got sent to me privately through like instagram and stuff like that saying hey check this out i tried to uh to emulate that shot was hilarious i thought that was uh actually pretty cool type thing but really like i mean all of those people doing the exact same thing none of the photos look the same so you know it's one of those things where i don't think 
showing people how to become better at this is in any way a detriment to, to what I do as a photographer. If anything, it'll help kind of raise the bar as to, you know, what clients can expect. And in the end, I think that just makes us all more money. So I just, I don't know. I just, the, the YouTube stuff is just, it's fun for me. It's a way for me to distract myself from everything. That's, you know, a part of this insane world that we're in right now. It's uh, you know, I could either sit at home and browse the newsfeed and get all depressed or I could come into the <laughs> studio, make some stuff and, uh, you know, share it and have a little bit of fun with it. So it's, I'm, I'm just choosing to go that way. Well, I feel like anybody that, that feels that they have to closely guard what it is that they do probably isn't researched enough themselves to know that they're probably not doing anything original. No. And that's what I was going to say. Like, I mean, to anybody who thinks that they're completely original, they're batshit crazy. Like, I mean, that's, it's somewhat impossible in today's day and age to create something that no one else can create that kind of a thing. So it's, uh, you know, having, having the ability to share this is sort of what makes photography great is that, you know, we can all connect on something that we're all interested in and, and, you know, share with each other and, you know, build, just build work together. And I think that's, what's cool about it. I don't, I don't see the point in trying to, uh, to close yourself off to, to a really, what is essentially a really great community. I've met, I mean, even talking to you right now is because of photography. And I think that's just awesome. Well, I think a lot of people would probably disagree about the idea of being in a phone call with me being awesome, but I do really appreciate that. <laughs> One thing with, with YouTube, and I, YouTube is something that I've made several attempts at with a varying degrees of enthusiasm. And every single time it seems to end up the same way, like a fat guy trying to run up marble staircase covered in baby oil. I just end up back at the bottom and <laughs> feeling a bit sorry for myself. Um, with, this, with this series, How I Got the Shot, are you, and I'm sorry if I'm pulling back the, the veil a little bit here, but are you sort of planning the shoot around the YouTube video or do you do a YouTube video of a shoot that was happening anyway? Um, no, it's essentially a little bit of both. It's, uh, you know, sometimes, you know, I'll, I'll have an idea where I, the, the, how I got the shot more or less sort of came from me having a bunch of clips and not knowing what to do with them. I always just shot a bunch of these random behind the scene clips, but they didn't really seem to have a space in the world. I didn't know really why I was shooting them. And then, you know, pandemic hit and I was sitting at home at my computer and I thought, Hey, you know, there might be a way that I can use some of this stuff and, and just make some things. And so now moving forward, I'm starting to kind of pre-plan for them a little bit more. There's different things where I'm working on di getting different camera angles and, and tying everything together so that when I do make a behind the scenes tutorial, it's got a little bit better flow to it, that kind of a thing. So it's, it's been a combo of, you know, having previously shot video that I didn't know what to do with and, and just finding a use for it to now kind of pre-planning a little bit and going, you can, you know what, if, uh, if I get some really cool stuff from this, it could turn into a video, it gives me something else to do. So now I'm starting to just to be a little bit more uh, conscious of it, I guess, when I'm shooting. Well, I've tried a couple of times to do the BTS thing. And what I've found is, is that either the BTS looks great and the photos don't really live up or I get great <laughs> photos, but for whatever reason, the BTS just doesn't show any part of the process that's even remotely interesting. And I actually had a very interesting experience late last year. I decided of everything that was going on, I was going to do this project for myself, which was kind of inspired by like 90s Peter Lindbergh, that kind of grainy black and white fashion, very simple fashion, but 
I had to, I had a whole mood board. I spent ages researching it because I've had literally nothing to do. Uh, booked in a model that I thought would be perfect for it. Did the whole shoot. Everything went really well. I got some pretty good behind the scenes and everything. And then afterwards, the um, the model didn't want me to use a certain number of the photos for kind of a bit of a silly mm. for kind of a bit of a silly reason in a shoot that was. Just, I mean, again, this is a cultural thing. I don't know how things work over in uh, wonderful Canada, but in in England. <laughs> Basically, the photographer holds the copyright and they pretty much hold the power unless something's been signed away. And yes, after I, one thing I don't want to do is I don't want to have a bad relationship with someone, even if I don't agree with them entirely in what they're doing. And I certainly don't want someone that's the subject of a photo to feel uncomfortable or unhappy that a photo is out there. So in the end, I kind of bit the bullet and decided that I would be the more agreeable one and kind of side with their want for something to not be shown. But because I was losing what I felt like was quite a significant portion of a, of a shoot, I decided to pull the plug on the whole lot. And what was probably one of the most remarkable moments of my adult life as a 33-year-old man was to receive an email off of the model's mum telling me off for what a bad person I am for pulling the photos and basically about six paragraphs of calling me names and then one paragraph of asking if I could give them photos. Um, and for a brief while, I was honestly considering whether or not I really wanted to be a photographer. <laughs> In terms of wow. in terms of like models, I, I I know we've kind of gone over this before on and off the podcast. We've talked a little bit about this, but what what do you do in in the build up to a shoot to really build up that trust and that relationship? And do you ever find yourself kind of pushing buttons with models to kind of get different reactions? What's what's the the pre production stage of working with models like for you? You know what? Like for me, it's more or less like at the beginning, I just kind of set out a bit of a mood board and I just say, you know, this is sort of what I'm thinking. But also a lot of the times when I'm doing like different model work or I'm just shooting creative, something that's just for me, I also tell them like, you know what, this, what we're doing here may not happen or what this mood board is may not happen at all. I might see something completely different when they, you know, get on set or just have a completely different idea that morning while I'm having breakfast, whatever. It's one of those things where... I, I've been fortunate in that um, I haven't really run into that issue. There's only been, there was one person that it was, um, it was actually a, a client shoot that uh, I posted an image on my Instagram where she looked, she looked sad, but in a, in a very powerful way. Mm -hmm. And what it was, was it was, um, she was having some problems with her allergies and I just, you know, thought that the image itself just looked really powerful. And I thought it was a really beautiful portrait. And I put it on my Instagram and I got a message from her saying, listen, um, this isn't one of the images that I approved. Can you take that down? I don't like the way I look. And I was like, okay, fine. But um, typically, you know, with, uh, with model work and stuff like that is, you know, we, it's a very collaborative process. They see everything as I'm going, like I'm not shooting film or anything like that. Everything that I'm shooting is tethered and into the laptop. And as we kind of complete looks, we go through and, you know, kind of both agree on what we feel is the best work from whatever particular set that we, we put out there. Ultimately I have the final say and uh, you know, I let them know, like I'm going to post what it is that, I really like about this shoot and you know, I, I haven't really gotten any terms of pushback in that regard, but um, yeah, I don't know. It's one of those things where I just find that uh, making the process as collaborative as possible tends to alleviate any of those kind of surprise kind of pop-ups where it's like, Hey, you know what, this, this didn't turn out the way that I thought it would. I don't like the way I look, 
you know, this, this doesn't fit with my brand or so on and so, so forth. So I just find that uh, collaboration has probably been the, the biggest strength into making sure that I don't run into any of those kinds of issues. Well, the word you use at the end there, brand, is, is quite an interesting word now because, I mean, going back 15, 20 years when I was a kid, brand was, you know, big name brands. They, it was literally companies. Now people talk about brand in like a personal sense of like the way that they're seen. And I feel like social media has turned everyone uh, into like a bizarre self-capitalist all whilst posting about how much they hate, <laughs> how yes. much they hate capitalism. It's a, it's a wonderful irony. Um, with regards to, you know, social media, mostly cameras on phones, but social media, Instagram, people having constant control over their own image. Do you, do you find that, that you have models that have a very particular way that they want to be photographed and they don't really know how to work outside of the realm of what they're comfortable shooting of themselves. Is that, is that an issue you're running into? Yeah. Every once in a while you run into somebody who has a very specific kind of like one look thing that they do. And, you know, it's, you can almost kind of see that, you know, even if it is somebody that you're contacting on Instagram or anything like that, you can, you can see that in their feed. Like there's, quite a few models that contact me and they say they want to shoot with me and I'll go through their feed. And if it's just sort of like this one face that just is apparent in every single image, I usually just say no. Cause you know, I want to create something that, you know, has a little bit of a range to a type thing. But that being said, I mean, sometimes it's on the photographer too, just to, to figure out how to direct. And, you know, maybe every once in a while there's, uh, you know, people that I've worked with that didn't have great images and they just needed, you know, some better direction on the other side of the camera to let them know, you know, if you do this, then this will look better. And I, um, I do direct quite a bit in my shoots and, uh, you know, I'm not afraid to like pose myself and like, you know, have the model step out of the way and, and pose how I would like them to pose just in order to kind of like nail what it is that I have in my head. So, I mean, in some ways, yeah, like working with a model that absolutely knows how to move their body and everything like that is fantastic. But, you know, some of the onus needs to fall on the photographer is, you know, their ability to direct and uh, and kind of work with people in order to, to get what it is that they have in their head onto the sensor. And, you know, like I said, that whole collaboration process of, you know, finding strikes on both sides of the camera really helps. Well, I don't think it's really fair considering the difference in looks between me and you. Um, you're talking about getting up and posing and showing how it should be done. And I look like a, a sack filled with cake mix and, you know, you look like a 90s German <laughs> supermodel. So that's not really fair. But oh, thank you. Your work though, like I've been looking at your work lately on Instagram and it's just, it's mind boggling. Like you're posting some insane stuff right now. I don't know if you're shooting film or if it's just the process that you're putting through, but it's beautiful. Like I'm a huge fan. That's a, that's kind of a bit, a bit of a shock to hear, but yeah, no, thank you. It's, um, it's at the moment, it's a mixture of shooting film and what I want to kind of move on to, which is Capture One it's kind of been doing some of my, I've been learning Capture One over the past couple of months, mostly shouting at the computer more than really learning anything because I come from Lightroom and <laughs> Lightroom is so ingrained in my DNA that I, I'm like frustrated. That I'm not finding all the same keyboard shortcuts and things are moved slightly differently on the screen and there's different names for different things. And one of the reasons I actually really I'm pushing myself to, to learn Capture One and to incorporate into my workflow is you, is, is these, um, how I got the shot videos really makes me want to want to find out more about what Capture One can do. Because I do think there's a legitimate difference between what you will get from um, different sort of interfaces that you're editing from 
I probably need you to just give me a bit of a pep talk here, but can you just sell me on Capture One so I can keep pushing through this wall? Well, the, the thing that was the major indicator of why I switched to Capture One was the tethering function. It is lightning fast. Its ability to chew through RAWs is like instantaneous. And I came from a light back or Lightroom background as well. And, you know, you'd load in a shoot and then you'd spend the next 15 minutes waiting for it to, you know, create previews, that kind of a thing. You'd flip from one image to the other and you'd have that one or two second delay before it pop in. And I don't know with capture one, it's all just like crazy instantaneous. It's uh, I've been using capture one now for the last few years and the newest version that's out now, I, I don't remember if it's 20 or 21, I don't know. It's um, I've got the latest version anyway, and it's just so fluid. The um, the before and the after sliders, the the uh, color management, the ability to just kind of like apply your styles and just do really quick tweaks and stuff like that. It just it's just so easy to use at this point. Like it's just so fast and flawless that I just I don't know. I, I loaded up Lightroom a little while ago just for. Uh, just for giggles, just to kind of see what it was like. And it just felt like I was editing on a machine that was like 30 years old. It just seemed so <laughs> bloated and sluggish and just, you know, I just, I really wish they would just start from scratch with Lightroom and stop with the updates and just rewrite a completely new program that, you know, kind of kicked out all of the the blogging that they have or whatever it is that's slowing them down and, and just streamline it like they have with capture one and you know i think they would uh they would do a lot better but i mean obviously the the big seller point with lightroom is that you can package it up or package it up with uh photoshop and you get a nice deal whereas with capture one you know you either buy it outright which is what i do or you go into a subscription base but now you're working with you know two separate uh entities but honestly they work so fluidly together that i don't know i just i, I just don't even look at Lightroom at this point anymore. It's just capture one kind of once you figure it out. And again, I, like I said, I came from that Lightroom background as well and kind of relearning a new interface when you've already spent so much time learning a previous one is really hard to like dedicate yourself to. You kind of just want to go back and be like, look, at, I already know what Lightroom does. I'm just going to go back to that. But once I uh, kind of went through and started really figuring out kind of capture one and, and what it's capable of, I was just like sold instantly. It just, it, it became such a life altering part of my workflow that I just can't imagine going back to anything else at this point. Well, for me, the only drawbacks I've hit so far, the ones that are genuinely slowing down my progress with, with just getting straight into it is when you're selecting multiple images to kind of see, I like to shoot in sets and I'm, I'm like crippled by OCD wanting things to be consistent. And if I, if I, export images and one of them is you know a, th a tenth of a stop darker or lighter than the rest of them it just it drives me to despair and with mm -hmm. with capture one it feels like it's not particularly helpful that you get 12 images that you can see at once and then you have to cycle through the rest if you're doing more than 12 in a comparison that i find really quite frustrating and i'm also used to using my loop deck with Lightroom. And for me to use the loop deck with Capture One, I'm going to have to buy a new loop deck because the loop deck that I've got doesn't work for Capture One. So that's, that's like the other thing is like, really the, the, the best case scenario for me would be, would be taking all of my wedding work, all of my portrait work, everything that I'm doing. And I, I also use um, 
one thing I absolutely love Capture One for is I've been converting uh, negatives with uh, Capture One. So I've been photographing them with a macro and then tethered, and then they're immediately converting by just inverting them. Um, and it gives you a lot of control compared to Lightroom. I just wish there was like a couple of little things that would help what I'm used to liking about Lightroom. If we could incorporate that in, then I could absolutely walk away from Lightroom without much fuss at all. I need to find out who it is I'm allowed to shout at in an email so they can call me a Karen, but then eventually see that I'm right <laughs> and, and hopefully find those, those points. I mean, outside the loop deck thing though, cause I'm not, um, you know, I've never used one, but like in terms of, you know, anything that the software can do in Lightroom, I, there's gotta be a way that capture one can do it. Like, I mean, it, it just, I think you just gotta do a little bit more digging. Everything that I've done so far, every time I've tried to get it to work any which way, if I try and like up the exposure, it starts changing the background color of, of Capture One. Or if I press for like a one star rating, it jumps to a different image. And it just, obviously I'm fine with the fact that <laughs> I am like technologically completely dyslexic, but if it, you know, that's the one thing with, with people like me is we probably don't do that much digging. We just go to the easier alternative um, for the time being. And if there's just a way that they can incorporate that stuff, it'd be, um, much better. One thing I was very lucky with, and a big shout out to a wonderful photographer who, if you're not aware of, I think you'd be a big fan of, uh, called Carl Ferres. He's been on the podcast a couple of times, wonderful guy, um, who he was the one who taught me how to convert negatives. And um, he also helped me out by giving me a load of styles, which is the, I really don't like that name, but it's the name for presets in Capture One. Mm-hmm. And uh, that really got the ball rolling because then I started to be able to sort of reverse engineer them. And I think that's a good way to learn a software is to kind of start with something that's finished and work your way back as well as start from zero and work your way up to a hundred. So it's kind of, you get both ends of the the spectrum on that. Um, With regard to styles, you are offering styles, you make styles um, for Capture One. I do. Um, Just take me through the process of how you go about doing that. Is it something where you are selling, you're packaging up what you use yourself or is it something where you're kind of making them to be as generic as as needs be no like it's it's stuff that i use myself and um like i did release a pack i don't know i guess it would be probably a month or something like that basically what it is is over the past year because i mean with everybody you know your your lighting styles change your editing styles change you you know become less aggressive on some things and more aggressive on others and you just kind of refine your, your look, if you will. And, um, I just found that, you know, some of the, the styles that I had created and used in the past weren't really matching up with, with what I wanted to create at this point in time and, uh, in what I'm creating. And so I was making, you know, different, uh, different styles and stuff like that, because the way I typically like to do it is when I get on set is as my images come in through the tether, I have a style applied to them. And that way, either my clients or, you know, just the people I'm photographing can kind of see somewhat close to a a final uh, product. So it really helps when you've got an art director or somebody there that, you know, they can, they can see the image or if I'm shooting something that's more portrait based where they're not used to seeing a raw image, they're only ever used to seeing the final images. It gives them a better idea of what it is that the final product is going to look like. And, and again, it just increases their confidence in the, uh, in the final product. So I just found that, you know, I, I always like to apply a, uh, a style as it's kind of being tethered into my system and it takes a lot of the work out of it. And I just realized that, you know, I had, you know, a, a variety of these different 
styles that I use for various um, ways of lighting my work. And I just realized, you know what, it's, uh, I think other people could benefit from this as well. And so, you know, I put it together as a pack and I, I put it up on my Selfie store and people have been really pumped about them, which is great. It's, it's one of those things where whenever I put something out, whether it's a video or a product or something like that, I always have like this, like recoil fear of like, somebody's going to send me a message and be like, this sucks. Like, why would you even do this? <laughs> blah, blah, blah. And I'm like, always just constantly like whatever with YouTube, I still get that. That's fine. I mean, it's free content. What are they going to do? But, uh, whenever I release, you know, something that I want people to use, like in terms of styles or something like that, um, you know, I always worry, like, you know, I hope people like these, but the feedback, like the amount of emails and messages that I got from people saying like, these are so awesome, you know, thanks. Thank you so much for making these available. You know, this is some of the work I created this and that and everything else. I mean, obviously it, it, I want that. I want people to always feel like, you know, they're, they're getting something for what their dollars are going towards. Mm -hmm. But um, yeah, I don't know. It's just, it's, it's cool because then, you know, it, it helps especially with people who maybe are learning from my, my YouTube channel or are, you know, fans of my work. And they're like anyone else, like there's, I have favorite photographers that I emulate and, you know, there's some of my work that other people are trying to emulate and you're trying to figure out what's the best way to get there. Just, you know, even from a learning process so that you, like you said earlier, you can reverse engineer that and kind of make it your own, but this just kind of helps them to, to get to that final point a little bit faster type thing so they can figure out what they want to do with it once they kind of reach that that you know stage of the process so yeah it's it's been great that the feedback on them has been fantastic and uh, i mean it's stuff that i use myself so i don't know i don't see the point in making something that i wouldn't even use and try to sell it to the masses it seems pretty disingenuous and kind of snake oil sales mini and i'm i'm not that guy so well that you know it's funny you say that because one thing that I think people either love or hate about me, and I mean just generally in my personal life, let alone online, is that I don't really have a filter for, I shouldn't say that. Um, I tend to say whatever's on my mind and yeah. I, I'm left accordingly lonely based on how good or bad of a week I'm having and how that's going. <laughs> but I've, I've always been someone that's been a little bit funny about presets. I, I, have, I have bought them. I have sold them. I have... I've had mixed sort of feelings about it in the past. And I think one of the reasons is, and, and I'll get to it, but I have had a bit of a revelation about this, I think. But I think my problem with it, and I'm not going to name any names because it's not fair to you because your name is on this podcast and I don't want you to be associated with my negativity, but there are certainly some people, fair. there are some people on, let's say YouTube for one, who are not photographers that are selling photos. They're photographers that are selling shit to photographers mm -hmm. they're selling either entertainment or they're selling community or they're selling something to other photographers they they have no standing in photography other than being a personality that has a camera on youtube and there's nothing wrong with right. that i'm not knocking that but that's just what it is there are photographers that take pictures and their pictures mean something to somebody at the end of it and there are people who like review gear and it's it's a completely different avenue completely. And I think one of the things that really bent me out of shape, and it might've just been that I was in a particularly bad mood when this was a thing, but there were some members of the photographic community on YouTube. And I'm pretty sure most people, if they even just go back through the podcast, they've heard me mention names in the past who have just no style 
to, to speak of in terms of their photographic work. You couldn't even pick one of their photos out of a lineup because everything they do is sharpness tests or, you know, vignetting tests on lenses or, or detail tests on new cameras or whatever, whatever they're being paid to pretend to review impartially at that point. Mm-hmm. And they've been selling presets. And it's like, you can't, that's like me not be, being a restaurant that doesn't sell food and then selling the secret source of the food that I'm not even making to people. <laughs> it, it, it really that's bugged fair, me. Yeah. It really bugged me. And th- that brings me to the revelation. So with picking up Capture One and trying to learn as much as I could about it and and sort of trick my brain into accepting it so that I can I can work through it, um, any of the issues that I'm having, I actually found that some presets that I was given or some styles, I really don't like the word styles. I wish Capture One would change that. That it actually really helped me find a consistent look and then be able to yeah. export several photos from maybe different sets or or whatever and really view what Capture One was doing outside of looking at it inside the actual program, um, look at it on different devices. And for someone that is honestly, and I know everyone says they have OCD because it's like, I think it's a little bit like, um, and again, I'm talking about England here, but it feels like some mental health things have been turned into fashion accessories uh, where it's cool to have Mm. certain things rather than everyone wants to have an issue rather than help someone else with theirs. Yes. But I genuinely am crippled as a creative by A, um, imposter syndrome and self-hatred and B, Mm -hmm. just unbelievable OCD about like not only does every image in a set have to match every image from every other set in that shoot, but they have to match everything I've ever photographed. Otherwise I have to restart my whole portfolio and I have a breakdown. (laughs) And I I quite literally had a breakdown late last year with it, where I literally took everything off my website. I did everything that I'd ever done and just started from scratch with the shoots from 2016 to now, which was the only ones I had left after having a hard drive issue a while back. And I literally went through shoot to shoot to shoot to shoot. And I edited all of these, these sets from years apart to make them match up. And I, I will say that things like presets and handy little uh, sort of like, I don't really know what the word is, but they're not cheats, but they're kind of, it's good framework. It's good framework to build from. Yeah. And then you can adapt from there. That was like a big difference. And I was like, now I get it. Now I understand why presets are a thing. And now I understand why they're so helpful. And I've probably just viewed them from a negative point of view because of one guy with big hair from Philadelphia and a couple of people from Canada. Yeah. And I mean, honestly, it's one of those things where, you know, every once in a while, somebody will sell a pack and it's got like 80 presets and it's like, nobody uses 80 <laughs> presets. Like you're just filling it up with garbage. Like, you know, if, if you're not using them, don't sell them. It's one of those things where oh, I, 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 I understand, you know, there's some people who just may want to make their monies and that is what it is. But like you were saying in terms of, you know, people who, whatever, if they're on YouTube or different things like that, that aren't um, necessarily making things, they're just kind of like testing things. That's the thing with YouTube is like, even now, like my channel isn't big, like I'm only around like 35,000 subs or something like that at this point, it's growing quickly, which is fantastic. But the amount of companies that reach out to me now saying they want to give me this or sponsor that or this or that and everything else. And I've turned 95% of them down because it's not stuff I use and it's not stuff that I care about. And I think people see through that pretty quickly. And I just don't 
like I said, I, I'm not a salesman. I'm a photographer who likes to make stuff. And um, I don't know, I think, you know, to, to step away from that and kind of, I just, I don't think I could live with the, uh, the, the not being genuine in, in what it is that I do. I just, you know, there's people who are cool with that and there's people who are not, and I, I fall into the not. So before we started this, we, we've been messaging on and off for about six months now, uh, mostly, about co- yep. mostly about COVID, but that's fine. And, yep. and, and an actual phrase that's come up a lot when we have talked photography is, it's, I think it's come up two or three times at least, it's come up once today, is imposter syndrome. Yeah. And I think a big part of imposter syndrome, a big part of having self-confidence issues or self-doubt, or I would personally just term it as self-hatred, depending on the day, the big part of that is, I think not being rational in the way in which you critique yourself is, is being very, very dismissive and broadly rude to yourself when it comes to critiquing mm-hmm. your own work or, you know, something you've just shot or something you've edited. I always find the edit is the point where I completely lose all self-belief and, and so on. With, with yourself, when it comes to self, yeah. let's start with self-critique. When you're looking at your own images, when you're culling images, when you're finding stuff from a shoot, how hard is it for you to find stuff that you, you think really, really jumps out and you really like? And what's your process for actually making sure that that stuff is, is right for, I hate, the, I hate saying this, but is right for you know, Nathan Elson as a brand, as opposed to just like what you like from an emotional standpoint? I mean, it's interesting because for me, like finding work that I've shot and like hasn't actually been overly difficult for me as of late. I've, uh, I've been trying to shoot a lot more for myself and not really caring so much about, you know, the, the end result, you know, whether or not it gets likes or whether or not it's, uh, is received well or anything like that. Some of my favorite images don't get good receivership, if you will, type thing. And I've kind of like tried to turn that part off and not care about that. I'm not, I'm not making it for that. Um, where I'm running into a lot of issues, um, lately with the whole imposter syndrome is not about my personal work. It's about my paid work. It's, uh, it's interesting because I have been, um, there's a company that I've, I've been using their product for, probably about five or six months now. It's a fantastic product. And we're going to be doing a couple of videos together soon. And they basically just said, uh, we want you just to make whatever you want and, you know, just do what you do and, you know, figure it out. And it's a product you already use. So you make stuff and uh, we'll sponsor the videos and we'll help you out. And I thought, wow, that's exactly what any photographer would want. You get to make whatever you want and you get paid for it. That's fantastic. Except, (laughs) that as soon as a client attaches themselves to it and they want to pay for it. Now I'm like, well, I'm not any good at this. (laughs) It's it's like, why, why there I'm going to, I'm going to make this. I'm going to send it to them. They're going to be like, this is awful. Like, why would we give you money for this? And it's just, it's so weird because I'm literally just being asked to do what I would do. If there was no money on the line, nobody else to, you know, sign off on anything, just make something for me, except, now I can get a good chunk of money off of it. And the second that happened, I, I just went into this huge stress mode of like, I'm going to get, like you said, the whole imposter syndrome, I'm going to get figured out. This is where, you know, they're going to, they, they've hired me to make this video and to do this shoot. And, 
even though they haven't put any guidelines on it, this it's because of that, that they're going to figure out, you know what, he doesn't actually know what he's doing, blah, blah, blah. And it's just like, it's ridiculous because I've been doing this for 12 years. Like I, I really do know what I'm doing. <laughs> like what I do doesn't happen by accident, but man, your brain can just do some really dumb shit sometimes. Like <laughs> it's so weird. So I've got this shoot and I'm planning it out right now. And it was like, I was initially going to shoot it today, but I was like, I didn't feel ready. I was like, no, I got other stuff. I got to get ready for So I'm going to do it on Tuesday. But it's just like, literally all I have to do is what I do. And somehow, because there's been a paycheck attached to it, I've somehow convinced myself that I'm not any good at what I do anymore. And it's just super weird. Okay. So outside of sending stuff to the client or outside of looking at yourself, do you have other photographers or family members or friends or anything like that, where you send them images and you say, here's some stuff I've shot. Can you just give me some honest feedback about this? And, and then you can kind of temper your, your belief in that project based on that. No. I, uh, I just, I, I, I internalize everything so hard. Um, my, this, my wife this isn't, this isn't a the, self-help broadcast by any stretch of the imagination. No, no, this is, this is me doing everything the wrong way. But I, um, yeah, my wife, it was interesting because, um, I, I get really kind of caught up in the whole idea of like, I want to create good work. And even when it comes to YouTube and stuff like that, it's like, I want to create good videos, but like you look at some of the people out there that are just, they're so good at it. And you know, my, my, my work isn't there yet. I, I don't have like this amazing B roll videography thing going on and like all this stuff. And so I look at that and I go like, well, my work sucks. Like why, why would anybody watch it? But turns out a lot of people do. And my wife actually, she said to me not too long ago, she said, you have to give yourself permission to suck. Like, even if you think it sucks, just make it because it's the only way you're going to get better. And I, so every time I make something right now that I'm about to put out to uh, the public via YouTube or something like that, I always just say, give myself permission to suck. It doesn't have to be amazing. And, uh, you know, that, that's kind of helped push me through a lot of the, uh, the negative self-talk, if you will. But, um, yeah, I don't know. It's, it's, it's super weird. Like our brains are just wired poorly where I could get a thousand messages from people saying like how much they appreciate something. And one asshole will say that, you know, everything I do sucks. And that's the one I remember for the next four days. It doesn't make any sense, but it's, uh, yeah, I don't know. I, I feel less imposter syndrome when when I'm making stuff for myself. Mm -hmm. And it just seems to be that when, uh, when other people are asking me to create it is when I start to get a little questioning of, uh, of what's going on. So, which is interesting because that's the only living I make <laughs> people hiring me to make photos. So it's just been weird. Well, I don't want to, you know, sort of say the wrong thing here, but to, in, in a way it's incredibly helpful for other people that you have that feeling because it, there are people, obviously there's, you know, 35,000 is not a small number by any stretch of the imagination. I've got about 300. I mean, I don't, use my YouTube, but still to have 300 people I find is mind blowing. Cause like, that's a lot of people when you actually think about it, like yeah. if you were in a room with 300 people telling you they liked you, it would blow your mind. So to have 35,000 people that, that follow you and like your work and stuff, and for them to hear that someone who they admire goes through the process of insecurity and self doubt and having to reinforce themselves and, 
and prepare for the worst and they dwell on the bad comments, that's something that's actually going to resonate and make people feel better about the fact that they have those same doubts about themselves and that it's normal to have those doubts. It's normal to, to kind of have to pull yourself up and push through it. And one thing that's like one of my favorite quotes, and it, unfortunately it's now got like banded around on that like Instagram quote mine thing where it just gets kind of regurgitated over and over again by people that are trying to sound philosophical. Mm. But it's, <laughs> it's comparison is the thief of joy. And it's true. Yes. Like the more you compare your, your work to someone else's, especially when it's someone else who you admire, you're never, ever going to see it in the right way. It's never going to be a, a good thing. It's obviously good in the sense of, you know, you get to look at certain technical aspects or certain emotional aspects but as, a, as an overall product it's just a really bad idea to do that and and to that note one thing that i'm finding really fascinating and the podcast has kind of shown this to me quite a bit and i'm kind of curious to see your take on this i'm staggered by the amount of photographers that don't consume photography like they they shoot but they don't seem to have like taste and i don't mean that in a bad way like they they, they have tasteless photography but they don't they haven't developed like a sense of what they really like. They haven't bought photo books. Or they haven't spent time, you know, looking at work that really speaks to them. And then, you know, that's, that's all food for the soul. That's going to, you know, be regurgitated when you then go to create your own thing. I'm kind of staggered by that. Mm-hmm. I, uh, I feel like I actually kind of fall into that category. I don't own photo books. I don't, uh, I don't look at, other photographers work very often. I, I kind of live inside my own head in that way. And that's not to say that like, you know, I don't draw inspiration from different things. Like, uh, there's been a few movies that I've watched lately that, you know, that the, the lighting that is in them and the, and the way they're shot, I look at that and I go like, that is, that is beautiful. Like cinematically, this is unreal. And so, you know, I, I draw different inspiration from things like that quite often, but, um, yeah, like, I mean, it's interesting because I'm sitting in my studio right now and, uh, there's me and two other guys that run it and there is photo books everywhere. And I, there's one, uh, Peter Lindbergh book that I can see from where I'm sitting right now that I've, I've, you know, shuffled through a little bit, but outside of that, I really haven't looked at anything. I just don't, I don't, I don't, I don't know why I don't, I don't kind of gravitate towards it. I, I, I really appreciate the work that other people create, but maybe it is that whole, uh, you know, comparison is the thief of joy ideas that, you know, if I, if I see too much of, you know, the work from these, these people who just have such a good handle on it, maybe it's going to make me feel like I don't, I don't know. It's one of those things where I just, I, I, I draw inspiration from various things that I see throughout my time, but I don't actively search out any work anywhere, which is strange for someone who is, you know, makes a living visually. Yeah. It's just, it's something I find fascinating. I couldn't imagine watching an interview of, you know, Tarantino or Scorsese and they're like, yeah, I don't really watch films, you know? Yeah, I, I know. It's so strange to me. <laughs> And, and yeah, I think, you know, maybe it might be the cure for you, you know, I, you know, I'm not speaking for you and I don't know you well enough to like make this a real thing, but it could be a cure for you being inside your own head about stuff because, you know, your work is absolutely phenomenal. And, and I go out of my way to pester you quite often to talk to you about stuff and ask you questions. So 
the level of annoyance that I create to you should be a barometer of how good you are at what you do. And I'm quite annoying. Therefore you are very good at what you do. That's how you should work (laughs) these things out. Thank you. I mean, like, and I guess that's where the whole thing falls in is, you know, I, I know that, um, I know that I'm, uh, I've got a talent, but I also don't feel like, um, you know, I look at somebody like Dan Winters and that guy just, good God. Like every, every frame he takes is just like, it's like a 300 page novel. Like there's just so much story in every image he takes. And I, I, I want to get to that point one day, but, um, yeah, that's like, you know, I look at that and I just kind of like, I don't know, there was an image that he shot recently, Evangelina Jolie covered in bees for like national bee day or something like that. And I was just like, Oh, so good. But it's just like, you know, he's one of the very few photographers that, um, you know, photographs celebrities where it wouldn't matter if they were celebrity. And I think that's sort of the issue that I run into. And that's where Peter Lindbergh's work is amazing and stuff like that is there's just so many, you know, kind of like well-established photographers out there where if they weren't photographing a celebrity, yeah, the image could come off as blah. But, you know, so I look at somebody like Dan and I just go like, man, that, that is, that is the bar right there. And so, you know, I just, uh, it's not that I don't see any of this work. It's just that I don't actively try to like, you know, do too much uh, searching out of it, that kind of thing. Cause we, we have two very different styles and, uh, you know, I, I really love his style, but that's just not where I'm at right now. So it's one of those things where I, I often worry that if I spend too much time looking at other people's work, it's just going to take away from, you know, what I could create for myself as well. So with regards to personal work, like I think with, with personal work, Laura Jade said a few years ago, and I used to be a a huge Laura Jade fan. Actually, now I say her name, I'm like, I haven't looked at her work in a while, but Laura Jade said that like, I think she said like 65 to 70% of her work is personal. And then the rest is, Mm -hmm. is commercial. And that's how she stays like a enthusiastic and interested. And B it's how she keeps her style evolving. Because if you just do, client work, you eventually become, you know, an e-commerce photographer and you, you, yeah, end up, exactly. you end up shooting just for the sake of the same lighting setup. Everything's clean, everything's simple and, and nothing's ever pushing you creatively. But how much of your work right. is, is personal and how much of it is, is commercial? Uh, the majority of the work that you see that I put on uh, like my feeds, like Instagram, stuff like that, the vast majority of that is personal work. That's just me kind of going out and creating stuff every once in a while, you know, some client stuff will kind of dribble in there because I've been hired to create something very specific to my personal style, if you will. But, um, yeah, like, I mean, I, I shoot a lot of, uh, paid work. It just doesn't necessarily make it into my, uh, my feed or my website type thing. And that's not to say that it's not work that I'm, that I'd like, but it just doesn't kind of fit in with, with what I've been creating on, on those platforms, that kind of thing. So it's, uh, yeah, I don't know. It, I would, this is my sole source of income. Like mm-hmm. photography is, is how I've made a living supported my family for, you know, the last 10 years. So it's, you know, I'm, I'm obviously shooting a lot of paid work. Um, and a lot of it is driven by people finding my personal work and saying, we really like what you do. We can't necessarily, you know, do exactly that, but we, we really like the aesthetic. Um, can you kind of manipulate it to, to fit what it is that we need? And, uh, you know, I kind of go with it that way a lot of the time, but 
Yeah. I would say like, you know, the, the vast majority of work that people see on like, um, my socials and stuff like that is, is all personal work. If I jump back really quickly to critique, because I wanted to do it in three parts and then I did what I normally do, which is I distract myself and I missed out the last part. Um, mostly <laughs> I'm enough. actually distracted because I'm, I'm looking at your website as, as we talk. And I think I said this on the last one, or at least said it to you before or after we recorded the last one, but I, I love your industrial work. I think it's probably your best work. And I know that may not be what you want to hear, but I absolutely love it. And yeah, it's one of my favorite things to shoot. It's just not a lot of it that's available at this coronavirus time in life. <laughs> yeah, that's that's fair enough. It's it's something that it really doesn't get touched on much by by sort of photographers that actually speak about their process. So if at any point you want to work some of that in, I can guarantee you'll have at least one very interested viewer. But heading back to critique really quickly. So we've talked about like self-critique um, and taste and, and developing taste and so on. But let's talk about when you're looking for Instagram or when you do um, on the rare occasions you are looking at other people's photos. What's your process of breaking down whether or not you like a photo? Are you are you quite technical with what you like and don't like? Like you said about the 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 wonderful um, images of Angelina Jolie taken by um, Mr. Winters. The, the 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 process that you go about realizing that you really like that work is it just an initial emotional reaction or do you break stuff down from a technical point of view? Um, it, it's mostly just do I find it interesting. And, um, you know, that it's one of those things where, you know, I'm not the type of guy that's like, oh, this light could have been technically this or that or anything like that. Like I don't approach things from a technical perspective. Um, for me, what tends to draw me in is, uh, just levels of interest, like what's going on in the photo that's making me want to stop and look at it. And it, some, a lot of the times it's images that play a lot in shadow, I just, you know, where you have to stop and actually look at the image and try to like figure it out a little bit. Um, different images that in terms of toning and stuff like that, like the way uh, Winters grades his work and stuff like that is just, I don't know, there, it, there's like a muted beauty aspect to it that is just so clean and uh, I don't know, I, I, I just love it. And then obviously, you know, he's just really good at finding the personality in his subjects. And so, you know, it has to be images that, you know, either anything that just stops, makes me stop and look for a couple of seconds, you know, like just to, to take a second and go like, wow, this is actually a really cool portrait. And, you know, there's different photographers that um, I have on uh, Instagram, stuff like that, that I can't even name their names right now, but their work is stunning type thing. Like it, they're not big names at all, but whenever one of their images comes across my feed, I'm like, wow, that's actually really cool. And, um, yeah. So for me, it's, it's more or less just anything that can stop me for a second and, and make me pay attention, really clean photos, really kind of like pristine work doesn't do that for me. Like, I mean, it can be technically lit perfectly and be absolutely gorgeous, but if there's no interest to it, I just, I don't see the point. There was some work right um, that you just posted. There was a, a guy, I think he had like a trench coat or something like yeah, that on yeah, yeah. some of the, yeah. And so I like, I saw that and I was just like, yes, like that is cool. Like it was just, you know, it, it, you could have done that completely different and made that photo just a clean, whatever. I don't know, just like a commerce type photo, but like it, it draws some, some personality and some interest. And, you know, it, it's a photo that 
you know, I do not have in front of me, but I remember. And so it's one of those things where anything that makes me kind of just like stop for a second. And that's something I've been thinking about lately when I'm creating work is just trying to find more interesting poses, something that might be a little bit weird, but it's still kind of cool and that kind of thing. And just trying to find ways to just to create a more interesting image. And that's really the only aesthetic that I go by is, is it interesting? Because technically it can be perfect, but it can be boring. Whereas it can be technically imperfect and absolutely mesmerizing. So I just go by that. Well, because you do this series where you're showing what goes into creating a shot, let me help you out with the image that you just brought up, the image of um, the gentleman wearing the coat. He's so for people that haven't seen it, it's it's like a gentleman's, I don't know what the name of the type of coat is. And really, for a guy that has shot fashion, I know nothing about fashion, but it's like a very nice, smart jacket, no shirt, because he's cool, and a pair of jeans. And what's really funny, so I'll tell you a little bit of the story behind this, because it, uh, it was quite a jarring shoot. The guy was awesome. The shoot was awesome. It was a lot of fun. Um, but we're shooting the set. He wanted to shoot this jacket. I was shooting on a little home studio, like I didn't have much space. Um, and to be honest with you, a little bit out of practice. So I hadn't done much for a while. So I was just hoping not to completely screw the whole thing up. And uh, there's, a, there's a, a book that I was um, given very generously by a photographer called Eli Warren, absolutely phenomenal photographer. He's got two great books, uh, The Coat Project, which is one I'm referring to, and another one called Skin. Both are phenomenal books. Absolutely go and find them and buy them. And um, they're great. The Coat Project is a, a series of different actors and, and models and performers all being given the same coat and they just model it in some way. And there's all these different interesting variations. And I used that as inspiration because this guy wanted pictures of this coat. And uh, so we started doing like the fashiony thing. You know, he's got like um, no shirt on, but he's got the coat on. It's kind of lots of attitude. And then he says to me, do you mind if I do something that's like, you know, a little bit more kind of sexy and seductive? And I was like, Firstly, like you, I'm sure you can hear it in the tone of my voice. The word seductive is not a word that I should be using ever. <laughs> but I was like, um, okay, so what did you, and before I could even finish, he just pulled his trousers down and, uh, we, yeah, like there was, there was that moment when my whole life flashed before my eyes. Cause it, it was, you know, I'm quite a, um, I'm quite an upright character and it really caught me out. And then we finished the shoot and it was just a good laugh after that, but it just completely caught me out in the moment. He was just so in what he was doing, but like none of that is in any photos, but it was just one of those really bizarre moments where I just, before I even had a clue of what was going on, he'd already gone off and he was doing something completely different. And so most of the photos that you like from that shoot at the time, I was probably speechless and terrified just shooting to get through the, the awkwardness <laughs> of the moment. Yeah. It's, it's like, I just pulled them up on my phone just so I could get, you know, kind of get a refresher. And yeah, I don't know, man. I just, I just think these images are super cool. Like it's, it's, he obviously is a, a good looking cat. He's, you know, got some, uh, some style to him and stuff like that. But yeah, it's just, it's what he was aiming to do. I guess like, I don't know, even the, the one where he's just wearing the jacket, he's not wearing any pants or any shirt or anything like that. Yep. It's just the jacket, but it's shot in a way that isn't like, um, glamour. Yeah. And I think that's like the, the one thing I always try to avoid is I don't want anything to be like glamour. But it's, um, it's, it's still just, it's cool. Man. I just think it's a really cool shot. It, it's one of those images that would make me stop and go like, wow, that's really well executed. And, you know, like it's interesting. It's well lit. It's well, you know, it's, I, I love the fabric background. Everything about it just feels, 
I don't know, man. Like it, it's one of those, it, it's an image. That whole set is something I could see in a photo book. Like it, it, they're like timeless pieces. So I don't know if, if that was work that I'd shown, I'd be super proud of it. Well, that's very, again, I can't quite deal with compliments coming from yourself. So I'm just going to awkwardly move past them, but thank you. <laughs> just going back to what you said a second ago. So you were talking about, you don't look at other people's work from a technical point of view. And then before that, you were talking about how you put stuff out there. And if you get like one negative comment, you can dwell on it compared to all of the positive stuff. So right. now that we're kind of collating all of this information in one place, and I'm thinking this might be the first time someone's had this conversation with you, because it's the kind of conversation that, that I don't think a lot of people would want to have with someone else and have that much of an interest in someone else's work, but I do. Do you think it's kind of ironic then that for someone that doesn't look at other people's work, doesn't critique other people's work, or doesn't judge other people's work based on technical elements or or anything like that, you just go by kind of like emotional resonance and, and how something speaks to you, that you worry so much about what other people are going to think. And, and, and in your words, they might think that your work, and it doesn't sound good in an English accent, but they might think that it sucks. Mm-hmm. Is that not strange? I mean, I think anybody who makes anything and puts it out there for the masses to judge can have a little bit of uh you know, just like a, a, a recoil effect to it of wondering, you know, how will this be received? That kind of thing. And I don't know, like as I, as I move on and as I get later in my years and all those type of things, I, um, it doesn't, it doesn't affect the work I create as much. I just, I don't understand why people have to be dicks. <laughs> like, I just, you know, I just, I don't get it. I don't, I don't like, I don't understand the the purpose of like going out and trying to, you know, um, put someone down for making anything for that matter, whether it's good or bad. Like, I just don't see the point in, in trying to inform people that you do not believe that, uh, the work is up to your standards, whatever that might, but, but I also find that, you know, 99.999% of the people who uh, say those things don't have a single thing out there in the world for other people to, uh, to lay their judgments upon. So I don't take too much of it. Like, you know, it's not, it's not wrecking me in any way, but yeah, just, I, I, it's just weird how, you know, our brains are wired that when that one negative thing does come in, it does seem to have like, you know, lights lit upon it type thing. Like it, it'll blare through, like, you, like I said, I'll, I'll get a, the vast majority of uh, the feedback that I get on anything is extremely positive. And my clients and the people I work with are always super pumped. And it's always some random person from who knows where with an internet connection that's got something to say type thing. And they're, you know, for the most part, just looking for a rise out of people. But for I don't know why our brains kind of like give that the attention that they do, but I just find that, um, yeah, it's, I try not to give it any energy. It's just hard not to notice if that makes any sense. Well, it's funny you say that because I had an email um, I've had two, two bits of that recently um, coming from the podcast. One was, one was wonderful. It was, I was emailed and there was no subject and there was no hello and there was no goodbye. I didn't get the guy's name. And the only reason I know it was about the podcast really is because of the name of his email, which I'm obviously not going to repeat, but it had the word photography in it. And the, the comment, it was um, just three words, no, no, no caps lock. Like I wasn't even worth a capital to start the sentence. Um, and it just said, 
Too, it, it just said too much bass. That was all it said. <laughs> like they took the time to email that's me. Awesome. Yeah, I actually, I was like, Do you know what? I have a lot so of respect awesome. for that. That's that's so lazy as a as a critique and so unhelpful. Yeah, but I actually like too it. much bass. The other one that was quite fun was uh, so I have a, a little Patreon, a really really wonderful um, set of people. Nothing like what a lot of people seem to get on Patreon, but I have a wonderful little group of people who support the podcast and, and they get episodes early and stuff. And it's always nice to have that. And, um, one person joined it and because I went, so I released 156 podcasts in about, I think it was about 140 weeks, which is pretty, pretty great. Wow. Pretty crazy. All things considered. Yeah. They joined the Patreon and then a week later they took down their pledge and they sent me an email that just said, since you're not doing podcasts anymore, I guess I won't bother. <laughs> it's like, I, li- I, I literally had a week off, like, Jesus Christ. Yeah, I take one week off and that's it. I'm pulling the plug. So anyway, that's, I, I need to wrap up because I've taken up far too much of your time and you've been so generous to do this twice. No, it's not a problem, my friend. Let's sort of end on, end on a positive, which is always hard for me because I'm English and I'm a dour individual. But let's talk about what you've got coming up because you said you've got some some bits coming up for YouTube and some shoots and so on. So I don't know how much you like to give away on this stuff, but is there anything you can kind of at least tease us with to look forward to? Yeah, well, I mean, there's um, I've got um, sort of my first uh, my first foray into um, dabbling in some some cool product stuff. Um, it'll, uh, it'll have to do with the, uh, the optical snoot, which I'm well known for and, uh, a big fan of. So there's some stuff coming through that way, which, uh, I'm, I'm really excited about. And, uh, there's been a couple of things that, you know, we're, I'm working on with, uh, with another manufacturer to, uh, to create some options for YouTubers. And then, uh, I've just got some really fun shoots planned that, uh, you know, as the whole, how I got the shot series that I, uh, have been doing it's these first ones have kind of given me a little bit of insight into what it is that, um, people get the most out of. And so now I'm starting to kind of cater towards, you know, what uh, what is the most beneficial information to people that I can, uh, that I can put out there while still having fun and, you know, making some stuff for myself as well. So, you know, there's, uh, there's some interesting things coming down the line over the next say two to three months that I'm, I'm pretty jazzed about. It'll, uh, you know, it's the weather's warm and things are happening and it, it's a nice shift from what this last year has been. So, you know, I, uh, I'm excited to, to be making stuff. I think that's kind of the biggest thing is right now I'm just kind of dedicating all of my, my energy to making things. And, uh, you know, it's, that's been a, that's been a huge thing for, for just, you know, keeping my, keeping my brain in the game and, and, you know, making the best of, uh, of this so-called life that I can type thing. So. Well, you've got lots of time free as well, considering that Calgary flames didn't make the playoffs. So I apologize for that. Oh yeah. (laughs) (laughs) I had to get one stab in. There you go. Everyone needs to go and watch your wonderful series of how you got the shot. So, um, could you just do me a favor and plug your YouTube real quick? Everything is easy to find on me. Everything is just Nathan Elson. So, you know, not Nathan Nelson. People <laughs> often put in one too many ends in there. But uh, yeah, just youtube.com slash Nathan Elson. My Instagram is at Nathan Elson. My Twitter is at Nathan Elson. And that's 
basically the only places you'll ever see me in social. And the last thing, obviously, um, I want to I wanna make sure that people can find because of the use that I've found for it. If they are dabbling in Capture One or if they are new to using it or if they are still finding their feet with it like I am, or they're just looking for, and I'm not, I'm really not on board with the word styles. I'm really not on board with that. Yeah. I don't know why I've got <laughs> such an issue with it. I don't know why it's such a bee in my bonnet, but I'm not happy with it. But um, where can there they go are. to find your uh, wonderful Capture One styles? Uh, you can either go to my website, which is nathanelson.com, or you can go to selfie.com slash nathanelson. Obviously, it's such a wonderful time always to speak with you. Such a huge fan of your YouTube and your photography. Thank you for all of that. Thank you for taking the time to do this. And one last thing, uh, it dawned on me that you're going to be one of those people that gets better looking when you go gray. And I'm very, very much not happy about that. <laughs> it, well, it's, it's, um, my wife called me a creamsicle the other day. My, uh, my beard <laughs> is starting to, uh, to fill in that way, but I've got that, uh, token red ginger skin. So, you know, I'm trying to figure out how to balance that out as well, but yeah, I'm, you know what? I'm excited for the gray. I think it's, uh, I'm, I'm hoping it fills in well. Well, I can't wait for my beard to turn gray because then it will look like I actually have wisdom as opposed to just looking <laughs> like I don't own a razor. You've got the big beard though. You've got that big, like, you know, put some work into it beard that I've never gotten to that place. So I've got the kind of beard that if I sit on a bench for too long, people start flicking change to me. <laughs> Fair. Thank you so much for taking the time, man. Yeah. Thank you for having me.